Let's pray. Father, open our ears that we might hear what you have to say to us this morning. Open our hearts that we might believe it. And Lord, may it come out in the way we live our lives this week and always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a sermon about uh, responding to what happens to us. For life for us unfolds in the interaction between who we are, what happens to us, and how we respond to that. Every day you venture out into the world as yourself. You woke up this morning as yourself and maybe you made it as far as the kitchen. Obviously you've made it here so you've made it further than the kitchen. But some days maybe you only make it to the kitchen. Other days you get to the shops Maybe you go to work. Every day you venture out as yourself and every day things happen to you. So maybe when you reach the kitchen you find that your brother has eaten your Nutrigrain in its specially marked packet. Or maybe when you go out to the shops you bump into a friend and you have a coffee and they tell you they're getting married. Or you arrive at work only to discover that the company is bust and you're out of a job. Every day you have to respond to what happens. Maybe when you discover your new train is gone, you go down and hide your brother's PlayStation controllers. Maybe when your friend tells you they're engaged, you take them out to lunch, so we've got to celebrate. Maybe when you discover you're out of work, you get on seek.com and start looking for a new job. Sometimes responding to what happens is complicated. It's not straightforward. You have to think about what you're going to do. Should I... Actually, is it too late to be open about the doubts I have about my friend's new fiancé? Has that moment gone now? Or as I turn up to work, should I pursue the pay that I'm owed? Or should I just forget it and move on? And if we are Christians, how should that shape our response to what happens to us? What difference might Christ make in the midst of what happens to us? Today, I think our passage provokes that question because we have Paul, uh, we have who he is, we have what happens to him, and we have him responding. He's writing it down for the Philippians. We have the Philippians, who they are and what's happened to them, and Paul encouraging them to respond to that in a certain way. So we'll look at those two things. Then finally, we'll look at you and I, who we are and what happens to us and how we might respond. So that's where we're going today. Firstly, let's start with Paul. Paul belongs to Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Uh, Philippians 1.1, the opening of the letter, Paul has introduced himself and his fellow worker Timothy. Paul and Timothy, servants or even slaves, you could translate it, of Christ Jesus. Paul had taken this role to heart that he belonged to Christ to an amazing degree. In our passage today, verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, For to me, to live is Christ. Paul did many things. He had many concerns. He had many relationships with both individuals and churches that he maintained. He He worked to support himself. He collected money to take to the 
Christians in Jerusalem when they were in need. He prayed and planted churches. He ate and drank. He had to make travel plans. He had a life like anyone. And yet, in all these things, his life had a definite centre, a real organising principle. Christ. Christ who gave Paul the mission to tell all the Gentiles, all the non-Jewish nations of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And so for Paul to live is Christ. So that's who he is. And when he ends up in jail, when this thing happens to him, he's uncertain about whether he'll be freed or whether he'll be executed. But he responds to this situation out of who he is. That is, out of, as someone who knows himself to belong to Jesus. And because he belongs to Jesus, Paul is confident. He's confident that things will turn out for his salvation. As he says in uh, our passage, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know, this is another reason, if you were here last week, we had an earlier reason for rejoicing, the advance of the gospel. But here, Paul says, I've got another reason to rejoice, and the reason is I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Or you could translate it, my salvation. And I think that's a more suggestive translation because the deliverance that he refers to here is probably his final deliverance from death and all enemies, his eternal salvation at the resurrection. It is less likely to be his deliverance from prison and execution since he seems to go back and forth on that about how that's going to go. But however that goes, he does expect that he will be able to meet the demand of the moment. Whatever, however his life goes, whatever happens to him, what does he say in verse 20? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I don't know which is coming, but I have this confidence that Christ will be exalted because I won't be ashamed of him. Paul believes that he will be strengthened. He'll be strengthened through the prayers of his brothers and sisters. He'll be strengthened by the helping gift of God's Holy Spirit. Verse 18, God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so that means that Christ will be exalted through Paul. Because Paul's commitment to live, to speak, even to die for Christ won't fail. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In some ways here, Paul is preparing himself for martyrdom. That he could end up with his head on the chopping block because of his faith in Jesus. Because of his unwillingness to step back from that. But he responds to what has happened and might happen with joy and confidence that God will help him to die as he has lived. But notice that, God, that Paul doesn't prefer martyrdom or glorify martyrdom, actually. He may say, as he does in verse 21, to die is gain. And he may say, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But he does not think this is the best outcome overall. 
But verse 22, he says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. And in verse 24, he comes back to that and says, It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Although he might like to depart and be with Christ, although he might consider death again, he says, No, what is more necessary, what is better in the end is if I stay, because it's fruitful labour and it's good for you. And so verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is tipped towards labouring on with Christ and for Christ and his people as the best outcome. And therefore the outcome he expects more He thinks God will do what is best for the gospel, for his people. And so I think I'm probably going to make it out. It seems, Paul, that it would be better for him to live fruitfully than to die faithfully in this case. But Paul does not know and he does not control how things will go for him. And he wants to point the Philippians towards how to respond to what happens to them as he has kind of modelled it with what happens to him. And so let's move on then to the Philippians, who also belong to Jesus Christ. That's who they are. And so in verse 27, he exhorts the Philippians, his friends in Christ, whatever happens to you or to me, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Whatever happens, this one thing do. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word conduct yourself, that you know, verb there, it has the sense of discharge your citizenship. Right? It's got the polis word, you know. Polis is the Greek word for city. Be a citizen. Take your place as a citizen and play your part in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you might recall, Philippi was a city that was a Roman colony. It was ruled by Roman law and everyone in the city who was a citizen of Philippi was a citizen of Rome as well. It was a point of pride for the city. But Paul actually has another citizenship, I think, in mind when he says, conduct yourself as a citizen. As he will say later in chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship as Christians is in heaven. And so we belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and because we belong to him, we seek to respond to events in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? What's worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, verse 27 does say, standing firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is the kind of language that describes soldiers facing an enemy, doesn't it? They stand firm. They strive together without being frightened. And recall again, Philippi was a city um, that Roman emperors sent their retired soldiers to, to become you know, farmers. And again, so Paul is appealing to the character of the Philippians. And just as Paul found himself with enemies because of Christ, so did the Philippians. We don't know any of the details of that, but 
But the Philippians had their own struggles in which they had to stand firm to. And just as Paul was confident that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation, and that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, he's also confident about the Philippians, about their solidarity and courage. And he says that will be a sign to your opponents that they will be destroyed, that is, they'll be ruined, laid waste. They are on the losing side here, the wrong side of this conflict. But it's a sign to the Philippians that you'll be saved, and that by God. You're standing in the right place, on the right ground, with the right people. Paul and the Philippians faced opposition which brought struggle and suffering, but this says Paul, was the gift of God. Verse 29, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. And for both Paul and the Philippians, it would all serve to bring about their salvation for they all belonged to Christ. And so thirdly and lastly, we belong to Christ. Christ has bought us with his blood and as we put our faith in him, he makes us his. As we follow him, he becomes ours and we become his. We become citizens of his kingdom, heading for salvation, the salvation that he will bring about for us. That's who we are. We belong to Jesus Christ. And things Things have happened to you and to me. Things are happening to you and to me and things will happen to you and to me. And so we, like Paul going through his life and the Philippians going through theirs, have things happen to us. And it may not be that we have enemies who land us in jail, but we have our trials, we have our sorrows, we have our struggles, we have our uncertainties and our dangers to face. Our opponents may not be flesh and blood, people with angry faces, but we may still need courage. We may still need to stand firm together in the face of the things that happen to us that we can't control, but we must respond to. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, says Paul to the Philippians, and we can adopt the same aspiration for ourselves. We may not feel we manage it sometimes. Sometimes we might be doubtful about whether this all does lead to our salvation, this trial we're facing, about whether we will have sufficient courage so that Christ will be exalted in our lives. Sometimes we might be fearful about some enemy, some struggle, some danger or trial we must face and we must endure. But remember you belong to Jesus Christ and he to you. Ask your brothers and sisters for their prayers. Call out to God for the gift of the spirit of Jesus Christ so that through those prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to you will turn out for your deliverance, for your salvation. Your belonging to Christ, your ending up with him in the end, and him being exalted in your life because of the way you respond to what happens to you.
Paul's sense of this was so real and vivid that he could rejoice even while he wondered whether or not he'd get out of jail. So let's pray that we might have the same capacity for confidence and even for rejoicing in our circumstances, whether they are good or ill. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the difference it makes to belong to Jesus Christ, to be his servants, to be citizens of his kingdom. We thank you that we can be confident that when we belong to him, he is bringing us to salvation. And so when things happen to us, Lord, things that may be difficult, that may require courage, that may leave us doubtful. We pray, Lord, that we would remember that we belong to Christ and he to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would provide his spirit so that he will be exalted in our lives and that we will rejoice even when we suffer. We pray this in Jesus' name.